Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Tonight, our Cleveland Cavaliers took on a very injury-riddled Miami Heat team. No Bam Adebayo, no Haywood Highsmith, no Tyler Harrow for starters. They had to send out, I think the broadcast said their 14th different starting lineup tonight. And still, you know, prior to tonight's game, they stood at 12-9. and nine. I think that's pretty impressive. And we know Cleveland's had to deal with his fair share of injury woes uh, on this end too right and we're at 12 well 13 and 9 too after tonight's victory but uh cleveland entered tonight without the services of evan mobley uh missing his first game of the season and mobley was one of just three players from the cavaliers to begin the season available for each game prior to tonight's contest luckily the other two max Struess and george niang were available and obviously this game it was wild, as per the name of the episode. There, there was a lot of emotions in this one. Cavs obviously started out very flat offensively. At one point, the starters were five, were a combined five and twenty. It was that bad. It started out that bad to the point where JB he would, he dug deep into the rotation. Now, part of that, let's clarify, part of that is because. Darius Garland picked up three early fouls and ended up picking up four within a very quick span of time in the game. So, yes, that did force JB's hand uh, to a degree, but you got to give credit where credit is due. I will say I didn't love starting the game out with Sam Merrill over Craig Porter Jr. I did not love that at first, but Sam Merrill made us eat our words, right? He came in, he dropped three triples at timely points in the game. Um very nice game. The entire bench, really the entire bench contributed to this one. From Tristan Thompson to Craig Porter Jr., Isaac Okoro, George Niang, uh, you know, everybody. Really, even Damian fucking Jones. Damian Jones saw time tonight, and he was immediately pulled in favor of Tristan Thompson. So thank you, JB, for that. I don't think any of us at this point in time are fans of Damian Jones' minutes. He is basically just a depth piece. He's, just, he's a depth piece. <laughs> uh love this dr claw 77 says that was ether in basketball form yes anytime you can beat a very well coached um eric spolstra led miami heat team you feel really good about that when in the camps are now starting to put some wins together man starting to put some quality wins together and that was a game where the Cavs kind of had to dig deep and they had to look Elsewhere, outside of their starting group for much of tonight. Although, you know, the stat sheet for Donovan Mitchell is not going to suggest that he started the game out slow as he would finish the game with 27 points, 13 boards, 13 boards, Jesus, from from a guard and six assists, finishing just four assists shy of that triple double. Um, You would think that he was he had a wonderful game, but no, that is not how the game started out for for Don. I think they said he only had eight heading into the uh, second half. I could be wrong about that, but this game definitely they turned up the intensity towards the latter half of the second quarter and carried that energy on over into the uh, second half where they just they completed the performance on both ends of the floor. The defensive intensity was there. The offense started to pick up and they were led by that bench unit players. And I got to say this as uh, Tom K brings it up already. Put some put some damn respect on Dean Wade's name. 
Too much, too much slander has gone to Dean Wade this season. I don't care how you feel about Dean. Yes, we know his game. He is sporadic in regards to his three-point shooting, but the defense that he provides, the rebounding that he provides, the ability to man the three and four positions, and sometimes even the five in spot minutes. You need a player like Dean Wade, especially when you don't have Evan Mobley out there. Dean will finish tonight with five points boards and although the statue doesn't exactly reflect his impact i'm telling you he made some really really impactful plays let me go ahead and mute this calf stream real quick as i'm talking over it um he made some timely plays and you need players like that out there you don't make some of the runs that you do tonight without them and one of these guys out there that you know i'm guilty of kind of saying hey what what the hell was jb thinking uh in inserting sam marrow over craig porter jr i gotta walk that back a little bit because sam made me eat my words like i said the dude came out there and we know the book on sam is that at the g league level he can space the floor but we haven't seen him really put together a ton of games at the nba level where his perimeter spacing really is felt and tonight he did that Merrill would finish tonight three of five from distance uh finished with nine points in 10 minutes absolutely yes steven Cavs agenda Cavs was cooking today they absolutely were man i loved it and this is as i believe uh it was pointed out on the broadcast by john michael this is one where you look at the box score and you do feel good about because literally the entire roster sands I, I think isaiah mobley was the only player that did not suit up tonight everybody got at least three minutes uh and everybody contributed uh you know so you this is one you look at and especially against an opponent in miami who you know historically plays cleveland very very well uh and you look, you, you look at this and you just feel good. This is a good victory where the Cavs had to kind of call and scratch their way back from a, a slow and sluggish start, and it wasn't their starters. They did not rely heavily on their stars in this one. For those of you who have been clamoring for the Cavs to go with a deeper rotation, for those of you who have been clamoring for people, uh, for the Cavs minutes, for their starters to be kind of tailored and curtailed, curtailed backwards, this is the game for you. Their leading minute uh, getter tonight was Donovan Mitchell just with 36. And while 36 sounds like a high amount compared to some of these games that they've had this this uh, this young start to the season, that's a pretty low total. Everybody across the board, their minutes were down. Uh, Max Struess, 34. Max is leading the Cavs in minutes right now. Darius Garland, due to that foul trouble, just 26 minutes tonight. Jared Allen, 25 minutes. Dean Wade, 25 minutes. Craig Porter Jr., the motherfucker that everybody wants minutes to get, 23 tonight. Craig Porter Jr. gave some of the most impactful minutes out there, and he honestly was the catalyst for the Cavs coming back. So uh, credit where credit's due for J.B. Bickerstaff. And I know fans will probably point to that and say, hey, you know, it was done out of necessity. No, not necessarily. I want you to go back and check because the only rotation-level players, when J.B. really started to insert some of the bench, the only rotation players with multiple fouls were D.G. and Isaac. Tristan Thompson, he came in, gave the Cavs a boost. Sam Merrill came in, gave the Cavs a boost. Craig Porter Jr. obviously came in, gave the Cavs a boost. Isaac Okoro, George Niang, I could go on down the line. Cavs basically went 10, uh, went 11 or 12 deep tonight, and everybody contributed out there. So you feel really, really, really good about this. But the question that I have for you all, because I'm trying to rack my brain here. 
I am trying to rack my brain. I, I love what I've saw out of everybody tonight, but normally you're not going to count on Sam Merrill, right? You're not going to count on Tristan Thompson every single night, and you're certainly not going to count on uh, <clears throat> Dean Wade to get as many minutes as he did tonight. My question for you all, feel free to let me know about this in the comments. For as much as we want Craig Porter Jr. to go out there and get minutes, where are we going to give him those minutes? Because I'm like racking my brain here, and I'm thinking – Especially when Karis comes back, because let's let's talk about that too. Karis Levert was not out there, and I know some people that I've conversed with on social media think Karis is an issue off that bench that he's getting too many minutes. And while you can certainly look at his overall minute totals and say, "Hey, you can probably curtail that a little bit, lower those a little bit," but in the grand scheme of things, Craig uh, Craig Porter Jr. is only going to steal a couple of minutes from him. So my question to you all is. Where do those minutes come from? For the people who want Craig to get 15 to 20 a night, which I get why you want that, right? The Cavs don't have a real backup point guard because Ty Jerome is still out. Um, and Karis LeVert, while he can function as a play uh, a playmaker, it's not his number one skill. So where are you pulling those minutes from? Is it a combination of from Karis, DG, um, Max, and uh, Karis? Yeah, well, and Mitchell, rather. So I, I guess let me reword that a little bit. A little bit from DG, a little bit from Donovan, a little bit from Karis. Where, where else are they coming from? Because you you really can't take too many away from Isaac Okoro because he's playing low 20s, sometimes even high teens in the minutes. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it sucks because obviously tonight is another game at which um, a, a key rotation piece was out in Karis Levert, where you would, so you can't necessarily use the, um, you know, at full strength kind of thing because the Cavs are not. When they don't have Karis out there uh, as a big time rotation piece, um, obviously that bumps one of those reserves up into getting some, you know, much needed minutes. And tonight, obviously, for the most part, that was Craig Porter Jr. who saw the benefit of that at that guard position. So I'm, I'm racking my brain here. I'd love to know what you guys think. Uh, you know, let me know in the comments below, where do those Craig Porter Jr. minutes come from? Because I just don't know. Um, it's one thing to get the guy minutes again, when you're missing a rotation piece in Karis or if DG's out or if Donovan's out or if Isaac is out one of those guys, but where at full strength, where do those minutes come from? I, I, I don't know. Like I'm, for everybody who wants Craig to play, I completely understand why you want him out there. I just don't know how. Like, I don't know how. Um, short of, like, stealing two to three minutes per game. But as TuneIn Sports says down here, CBJ definitely deserves to see the floor. Uh, but like you, I don't know when Levert comes back. Yeah, and, and, until Karras is back out there, sure, give give um, Car- uh, give Craig Porter Jr. Karras' usual complement of minutes, anywhere between 24 to 28. I love that. I love that idea, right? You can do that. And you can obviously shorten the workload for Darius Garland out there when you do do so. But when he does return, I don't see how it's possible because you want your starter, your your starting backcourt out there probably as much as possible, right? Without extending their, without really working them to death. Like if you can get Darius and Donovan somewhere around 35, uh, 34, 35 minutes a game, that's okay. That's acceptable. That's fine. But, you know, past that, you probably don't want them sitting for too long because they're, they give you their, your best chance to win. 
Um, so I don't know, man. I'm, I'm racking my brain over that. <laughs> I, I, I would love for people to know uh, the answer to this. Obviously, this is a JB problem and not a Mac or a, or a fan problem. So who knows? We'll see. Um, it, it's getting continuously harder and harder, though, to sit this guy. I, I know I'm not alone in that. It's getting really, really, really hard to to sit Craig Porter Jr. when he continues to have performances like this and impact the game the way that he does on both ends of the floor. It's not like he's just putting up stats in garbage minutes or that you know he's just getting shots up out there because that's not even remotely the case. Craig Porter Jr. is actually impacting the game when he comes in, whether it be for you know in five minute stretches, a ten minute stretch, something like that. He's impacting the game on both ends of the floor. So it's getting really, really hard to continuously sit him. So I understand the fan frustration in regards to that. Uh, John Turner says down here, Mitchell and Garland could play 31 to 32 minutes a game. It's possible, right? But it's highly unlikely because as you see how impactful Donovan Mitchell can be when he gets going, you're not going to elect to sit him. Um, DG, I mean, you can probably get away with that, you know, maybe 31, maybe 32, but I just, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. It is really tough considering that all three of these guys are smallish guards, right? It's not like Harris where you can play him legitimately one through three and even get away in some lineups with him at four. Um, he's so damn versatile in regards to, uh, you know, his, his positional, uh, his positional versatility. That's what I'm trying to say. He's very, very versatile. So you can line him up in multiple areas. You can't necessarily do that without sacrificing on the defensive end with Darius Donovan and uh, Craig Porter Jr. because they're all six, two and below. So it's tough. Somebody's going to be given somewhere. And I don't know. Um, John also says you don't want to burn them out in the regular season. Yeah, I agree with that. And the thing that we also have to take into consideration here is that with a player like Craig Porter Jr., there is a 50-game limit to how many games he can appear at the NBA level on that two-way contract before you have to make a determination on whether or not you're going to convert him or send him down to the charge, right? And for Craig, I believe that this was his 14th game. I don't have the accurate number right in front of me. I'm sure I could pull it up real quick. But yeah, um, Craig, he's already starting to burn some of those appearances off. So you do still have to be, yeah, tonight was his 14th appearance. You do still have to be kind of smart with how you're using him. And tonight, without Karras, um, it's a good spot to use him at. And so you have 36 more games um, on the season that you can use him in So uh, before they have to make that decision on him. So it, it still might be a little str- uh, strategic in regards to JB. And I know us as fans, we're going to be like, man, fuck that. This dude is so impactful. You got to have him out there. But until he's converted, as Tom K says down here, that's kind of what we're dealing with. And the the really tough part about this is, is that it's just the position he plays. If he was doing this, as a wing, let's say he's like six five, six six, six seven out there, and he's doing what he's doing on both ends of the floor. You can bet your ass that the Cavs would have already uh, converted his contract because there would be a spot for him. <laughs> I mean, that's just as simple as it gets. He might even be getting minutes over um, minutes over um, 
Isaac Okoro and, and stealing some of Max Struess's minutes. We, we, we might be approaching that status or Karis LeVert even, right? At the, whenever they have him in lineups at the two and the three, um, that would, that's exactly what would happen if he was around that size, but he's just not. So it kind of sucks. Like it's just too many mouths to feed at that guard position. But I really would love to know, you know, if you catch this episode later on and you're not watching live, I, when you hear this, I really want to know the answer to this because I'm racking my brain and I can't figure it out for the life of me. And like I said, it's not a Mac problem. It's a JB problem. So I, I do not envy him in regards to that. But I do recognize the fact that this is a tough situation for him to be in. Um, tonight, man, just overall, just good vibes. Just good vibes, especially – uh, with the team really contributing from top to bottom. Let's talk about Max Struess here a little bit in his first return to Miami, I believe, on the season. Um, just 11 points tonight. Did pull down seven rebounds, but obviously the number that sticks out in regards to his stat line is the 4-17 from the field, including 2 of 11 from distance. His shot just wasn't falling tonight. Uh, you know, the typically – uh, sharp shooting Struess just didn't have it going in that regard, but he was still a plus 18 on the night because for one, he was playing some pretty damn good defense out there. And two, he was actually still able to impact the game in other areas. Again, those rebounds, pretty big deal. Um, his ability to space the floor and generate gravity that opens things up for other guys, especially when he is driving the basketball uh, and, and operating and orchestrating in the pick and roll as you know, operating sort of the DHOs with the with the big men out there. And we know the connection that he's made with the likes of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. The thing that I like always get weary of when they switch out one of uh, one of Evan or Jared for Tristan Thompson or a Damian, Damian Jones type, right? The thing that I'm always weary of is those DHO possessions or, you know, those, those sets, they don't actually look all that crisp because Tristan is just not akin to playing with Max Struess the way that uh, Evan and, and Jared have developed that level of chemistry with him. But obviously the way that this man has impacted the season, it just makes you feel like he's probably been one of the Cavs best additions in years. Like that acquisition continues to pay dividends. <laughs> John Turner says Jared Allen had that bad body language all game tonight. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a, a game that I thought that Jared Allen might be dominating because Bam out of bio is not out there and Evan Mobley's not out there. So the Cavs obviously, uh, you know, they were forced to go with a bit of a smaller lineup out there with Dean Waite starting at the four, who provides a little bit more spacing. So I thought, hey, if there is a game for Jared Allen to look like a boss out there, uh, it's tonight. And obviously that didn't happen. The Cavs got it done in a different way. But nevertheless, you know, I still felt like he was impactful in his time out there. Just it wasn't as impactful as uh, as I would have liked it to be. Um, Tuna Sports says CBJ had some passes to Tristan Thompson. Yeah, yeah, that dish inside, that bounce pass that he had. Um, CBJ is really adept to doing that. I've noticed about Craig, for any of you guys who haven't checked out my content on him, like did a couple of breakdowns on him already, but I might have to do another one just because, uh, you know, something he does every single one of these games, it impresses me. Something that I just didn't feel like he had in his bag. But he plays with the poise of a 10 year veteran out there. Some of the passes that he makes, it's just unbelievable. He really sees the entire court. His basketball IQ just appears 
to be off the charts, man. And for him to still not necessarily have a solidified three-point shot and still be able to go out there and uh, make the defense feel his presence, that's big time, especially for a fucking undrafted rookie. Like, what the heck is that about? That's that's just yet another great addition that the Cavs have made. But again, I've I've kind of talked about Craig ad nauseum tonight. It's understandable though, just because of the the future that he could possibly have as the Cavs' backup point guard. So I love it, man. I love it. Um, elsewhere, when you take a look around, uh, George Niang starting to really pick it up, dude. Starting to really pick it up. 13 points, three boards tonight, five of nine from the field, three of 14 from three-point distance. And I I feel like I do this every single game with Niang, but man, he just continues to pick it up. He continues to pick it up. Um, Over his last 10 appearances, Niang is knocking down a pretty solid amount of his three-point shots, man. He's averaging 11.1 points, including tonight's game, uh, over his last 10 games, and he is now knocking down over 43.8% of his three-point opportunities on relatively good volume at 4.8 attempts and uh, against 2.1 makes. So you absolutely love that. Like, you take that all the live long day. And for Niang, who has such an atrocious start to the season, to really be rounding things out and and just kind of turning a new leaf for Cleveland, that's big time. Now, after tonight's game, his averages have obviously been bumped out, but he's now at 36.7% from three-point distance on the season. And for those of you who remember, the guy started out shooting like 27% from range. It was it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. It had me questioning whether or not Yang should be in the rotation over Dean Wade at a point. But one of the things that I've come to love about him is not just the spacing that he provides. Because obviously, coming into the season, he was carrying five straight seasons shooting over 40-plus percent from range. But one of the things that he adds is an edge. Like that dude, I think I said this last pod, because he's doing this every single game, he doesn't take any shit out there getting up in guys' faces. Uh, I forget who it was who 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 you went up against. I think it was Josh Richardson. Uh going up against Josh Richardson, letting him know I'm right here. Like I'm not scared of you. <laughs> uh as Tune in Sports says down here, I love his energy. He got that dog in him. He him. Yeah, I mean, I love that dude. Like, um, wouldn't have thought it right prior to him, but watching the Cavs media day coverage with uh the Chase Down Pod. Um, sitting down, seeing them sit down with Niang, you could kind of clearly see that that was within his personality, right? That he, he's got a little zestiness in him. Uh, he's going to go out there and showcase the ability and that he already has as a perimeter shooter and as one of your edgier players out there, kind of leading the Cavs in that regard, consider, excuse me, considering that they didn't necessarily have that last season and trying to, um, to beat those soft allegations, having guys out there that can be a little bit tough, be an enforcer out there. I think that's pretty crucial for this Cavaliers team who doesn't necessarily have that anywhere else outside of him and Tristan Thompson. Um, yeah, he went at Josh Richardson for flopping apparently and Jalen Duran in Detroit. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. And that's probably not the last time. We've already seen him be teed up a couple of times. Um, and speaking of technicals and fouls, man, this game is just another um, 
another microcosm, right? In in regards to some of the some of the calls that were made. Now tonight, I can't complain too much because the Cavs actually ended up shooting more free throw attempts than Miami. Uh, Twenty six attempts to Miami's fifteen. We didn't necessarily shoot well. Yeah, uh, we didn't we we didn't shoot we didn't shoot too well from the line. Sixty five percent. Uh, Jay Dias says uh, feistiness, not zestiness. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right, I'll take that. Feistiness, I like it. Whatever word you want to throw on there, yeah, Niang has been, he's been that guy. He's he's brought the edge, but I like it, feistiness. Uh, his post-up game is surprisingly good. Yeah, the only thing, and you guys have probably heard me say this a few different times, um, I hate when he goes in for that floater, especially when he's driving the basketball, but I can't argue against it. I think I posted these stats the other day on Twitter where, um, you know, I was looking at his, his recent 10 game stretch and when he attempts those shots within five feet, he's actually shooting very, very well. Uh, when he's attempting that layup, when he's attempting those floaters out there, it looks ugly, but it works. It's working. So I like, I got, I've gotten to the point right now where I've kind of done a 180 on that. And, um, now I welcome it because it feels like it's going to be a make it's ugly as hell. Uh, but it works. It's been working late and his post game. And if he's posting up a guy, he feels like he has a mismatch on it's starting to work more often than not. So why not tune in says every team needs some type of enforcer. Absolutely. You need a tough guy out there. Let people know your team's not taking any shit. And Niang appears to be that guy for the Cavs. Uh, but circling back to my point, the you know that call I, I believe it was against uh you know it was obviously a call that was a little bit late but Mitchell went down really really hard kind of looked like a little bit of friendly fire with DG in there um just small things like that that could end up potentially hurting the Cavs in the long run if they're not officiated correctly I'm seeing little stuff like that in every single game that's really pissing me off, whether it's DG being slapped or a non-call on Isaac Okoro or a late whistle on Donovan Mitchell. It's really just starting to really piss me off in regards to some of these aspects uh, of officiating. But I can't complain too much tonight just because the Cavs, you know, they did get a – they got more calls. They got more calls than not. Actually turned the ball over less, too. Just 13 to 18. That's big time. Coming off a game in which Darius Garland turned the ball over zero times. Um, and, you know, as I'll, I'll point this out again for anybody who's like uh, trying to call me out on it. Yes, I get there are some violations that Darius Garland may or may not have committed, but they didn't give it to him. So I'm not going to give it to him either. Zero turnovers. The first time that Darius Garland uh, had zero turnovers since game four of that Knicks series uh, and the other game tonight, just two turnovers. So just two turnovers over his last two games. You'll like to see that trending downwards, especially for a player who coming into that game against Detroit, I believe was, uh, was it Detroit or Orlando? I can't remember. I think it was Orlando, uh, but coming into that game, he was very, very high on the turnover list per game. So like to see that number go down. And some of that may have had to do with the fact that he played limited minutes tonight because of the foul trouble. But nevertheless, the Cavs still, as a whole, turned the ball over just 13 times uh, against a very well-coached Miami Heat team. you love to see that. In a game where Max Struess uh, shoots 2 of 11 from distance, in a game where Donovan Mitchell didn't get going for the second half, in a game where you didn't have Darius Garland for most of the second quarter, 
uh, in a game where Jared Allen just, you know, wasn't as impactful as you thought he would be in a game where you don't have Evan Mobley, you would think this, this, this probably would have not had a good outcome. It did. Cavs won the game 111 99 and now have another tough, tough matchup, I believe against the Orlando magic again, tough, tough. You got to get these together. Uh, Cleveland, as of now, six as the sixth seeded team in the East after tonight's victory. You love it. And there's no no real big jump like in the standings here. The number one seeded team right now is the Boston Celtics. They sit at six and five. Cleveland at number six is 12 and nine. And the gap between uh, the the number four seed and the number six seed is not not very steep. It's two games. It's two games. So we are getting to the status right now in the territory where we can actually start to put some shit together. Coming off of now three straight victories, you can probably put another one up there against Orlando, and and you know then you really get into some tough territory. We're really about to see what this Cavaliers team is made of if we haven't already, because following the Orlando Magic, the Cavs have a back-to-back with the Boston Celtics. That's going to tell us everything we need to know about this Cleveland team early in the season. So you you gotta, in my opinion, after you beat Miami tonight, you gotta go in uh, into Orlando and and handle your business. You know, as the kids say now, stand on business. Uh, you got to do it. You got to do it because you have some very tough matchups in regards to those Boston Celtics. That's tough, man. At number one, the Cavs win those one win these next three games. You could easily be talking about Cleveland in that top three seeded uh, territory. Cavs can do a lot, especially after this start to the season. It's been so damn injury riddled where you're missing a key player or two every single night, it seems. But overall, man, just just a good, solid overall uh, victory on the night. Got contributions from up and down the lineup. Um, Nobody really outshined anybody else outside of maybe Donovan Mitchell. The whole team just really put it together. And so I'm I'm feeling really good as we move forward here. Um, with that said, as I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Just past 14K subscribers. So if you're currently watching uh, on YouTube and you're not a subscriber, make sure you do me a favor. Drop a like. Hit that subscribe button. You never know what you might find on the channel might appeal to you if you'd like to be added to the exclusive it's cavalier discord chat you know what to do leave a rating leave a review send a screenshot of said review to it's cavalier 53 at gmail.com and i'll send you an invite you guys will never believe if you're just started watching this podcast or listening i used to mess that up all the time i'm not doing it uh as much so i'm feeling really good about myself um as a cavalier should also feel good about themselves in regards to this win. That said, have a good weekend and go Cavs.